Where did we come from? What are we? Where are we going? The answers, my friend, in the wind they are blowing. Is the mind of God even worth knowing? What's the meaning of life? That's what this show will be showing. Is life just a dream? Is anything certain? Is the world just a stage? If so, where's the curtain? Is the queen really a lizard or is David I bonkers? If a serial killer kills another serial killer, does it work like conkers? If I just think I am, am I definitely still am? And if I think I will, am I will I am? Could the apocalypse be coming now any day? What is that? Wait, 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 wait. to two decimal places. It's Richard Herring! Thank you very much. It's a bit too... If anything's a bit too smoky. Stop work. It's going on too long. It's working... Ah, oh, that's right. There we go. Well, hello! Uh, welcome to the show. It's 3.1-something. Uh, that's, that's close enough. You just use that in any of your calculations. Uh, that... That'll do it. Welcome to Richard Herring's Meaning of Life, episode five, or as all the people with very little time to waste on such fripperies have started to call it, Rahamol. Oh. Yeah, not bad. Uh, it's, uh, it's a stand-up and sketch show which, over the course of six weeks, promises to give everyone who watches it the actual meaning of life. You don't get that with Paddy McGuinness, do you? That's... Uh, Though I admit uh, we've got quite a lot of work to do as we haven't really got anywhere in the first four shows, so we're really going to have to pull our fingers out for the next two. Stop working! <laughs> no, it's no good working now, is it? It's too many... work too well. Uh, anyway, so we better crack on with it straight away. This month's show is about good and evil. Good and evil is that eternal battle between absolute right and absolute wrong, which is in films is always won by good, and in real life is always won by evil. Isn't that right, Tony Blair's? But uh, <laughs> only the good die young, which makes you wonder what Mother Teresa was secretly up to, doesn't it? I, just saying, if I was in charge of Operation Newtree, I know where, which grave I'd be digging up next. Uh, but... According to Richard Briers, uh, living a good life involved quitting your job, brewing your own wine and fucking Felicity Kendall. 
Sounds pretty good to me. Well done. I think Richard Bryce got it there. Uh, but who is the most evil man who has ever lived? For me, the accolade has to go to an evil and ruthless dictator, feared by his enemies and famous and infamous for his tiny toothbrush moustache, is, of course, Mr Bronson from Grange Hill. Uh, those... <laughs> Definitely the most uh, evil man. They didn't show half of the stuff uh, that he did in the actual series, but if you watch the film Bronson, uh, it's, it's amazing, what he, <laughs> amazing what he got up to. You wouldn't, no, I know it isn't real. I know that isn't really uh, Mr. Bronson. That's just the man who has named himself after Mr. Bronson. That is how evil he was. That is a much better joke than the audience in the room have given it credit for. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, but obviously heaven is uh, where we go if we are, are good, which is a nice thing. But where did the idea for heaven come from? It's obvious, really, isn't it, if, if you think about it. Uh, heaven is just made up to reassure children, right? You, you, you don't want your child having to face their own mortality if their dog or their granddad dies. You don't want them to be upset. So you make up this beautiful lie. You say, don't worry, granddad and Fado aren't dead. They've gone to a beautiful place. It's called heaven. They're running around together in Elysian fields. They'll be happy forever because they're in heaven, which is, is nice. But then, of course, that lie then leads to other lies to prop it up. I think this is how religions start. It's probably where hell came from as well, if you think about it, because then the kid's going to say, well, that sounds amazing. That sounds much better than living in London. I have to be honest with you. I'm going to kill myself straight away so I can go and play with Grandad and Fido. They go, oh, no, no, uh, you can't do that. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Uh, give me a minute. Uh, it's, oh, it's because it is written, I'll show you later, that... That if you kill yourself, God is furious about that. He hates that for some reason. He won't let you into heaven. No, in fact, if you kill yourself, you'll burn up in a place called hell. So you mustn't uh, kill yourself. But these lies, they turn into truths. They turn into laws. They turn into holy rules that have to be obeyed in every circumstance. And this moral absolutism can lead to some horrific places. I mean, who remembers 9-11? Any, anyone? Do you, do you remember it? Do you, do you remember it? Who re you remember 9-11, right? I'm trying to get into that sort of Peter Kay nostalgia comedy, this... <laughs> to be honest, this doesn't seem to fly as well as his Monster Munch-based routines. I... When I came up with that, I thought I have come up with a really good one there because everyone will remember 9-11, but either people don't remember it or they resent being reminded for some reason. Do you remember those planes flying to those buildings? <laughs> what was that all about? <laughs> Whose idea was that? Seriously, though, on 9-11, um, on people in the World Trade Centre were left with an horrific choice. They either stayed inside a burning building or they jumped out of the window. Now, some people in America argued out loud that the people who'd chosen to jump out of the World Trade Centre had committed suicide and were therefore going to hell. That's where this, this moral certainty can lead you if you don't allow any, any ambiguity, any uh, grey amongst the black and white. Now, I think even if I thought that, I would probably keep that to myself. I, I wouldn't need, feel the need to tell the grieving relatives that their children were not only dead but now burning in Hades as well. It's so pompous, it's so arrogant. You can imagine that kind of person standing outside the World Trade Centre on the day watching people jump, not offering any help, just going, mm, you're going to go to hell because of what you're doing. I really didn't have time to think through the ramifications. And it's, and it's bullshit anyway, isn't it? Because surely the people who jumped out of the World Trade Centre, they had a hope of survival. That was a leap of faith. They, they could have survived. There could have been, like, a lorry driving past with loads of mattresses on it. Hams all the time in cartoons. Uh, a gigantic eagle could have been flying past them, but they could have all just landed on its back. It happens at the end of The Hobbit, part one. Spoiler alert. Uh, 
Sure, it's the people who stayed inside the burning, collapsing building. I mean, if anyone commits suicide, that is a suicidal action, which is why I believe all the people who stayed inside the World Trade Center on that day are now in hell. Um, <laughs> if you know the relatives, could you give them a ring and let them know what's happened? It's so, it's so difficult to get around them all, let them know. Just, there's so many of them. There was, there was an element of satire in that bit that I think... Uh, <laughs> Maybe it's gone over people's heads uh, a little bit tonight, but uh, a friend of mine um, chose me actually to be the godfather recently of, to his young daughter. And to be honest, I can't think of a better choice of person to <laughs> give an example of Christian living in to encourage her to follow Christ and fight evil. I'm taking my duties very seriously. What I'm planning to do is every time I see her from now till the end of my life is just to shout, believe in Jesus, in her face, just over and over again, which I think, as I understand it, that's my main duty. Uh, the christening was going well, but until I was asked to reject Satan and all rebellion against God, uh, which I wasn't happy about. Don't get me wrong, I, I hate Satan. I think he's a dick, really. I think he, the way he behaves is idiotic. But I do sort of admire him a little bit as well, because Satan, you remember, originally he lived in heaven with God as, as God's highest angel. But for some reason, despite that, Satan decided to rebel against his creator. He knew God was all-powerful. He knew God was invincible. He knew that he already lived in the best place in the universe, in heaven, and that he'd lose all that and be punished. But he still rebelled. He's an underdog, isn't he, fighting impossible odds. It's hard not to grudgingly respect him. It's a bit like Osama bin Laden, who I, I, I disagree with pretty much everything that man said and did, but, I mean, it's pretty daring to stand up to the United States of America, the biggest force, of the most heavily armed force on the planet, and having, you know, he knew he'd be tracked down, he knew he'd be killed, and yet still he did this thing. That's slightly admirable, in a way. It just makes me wonder if Satan, as bad as Satan is, if God is as good as everyone thinks he is. Or does he just say he's good, like America does, when in fact he's doing all kinds of selfish and morally dubious shit all the time? That's, it's the only thing that makes sense of his insistence on us not rebelling against him. I mean, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't, no one's going to rebel against him. It's odd that God would insist we don't rebel against him, isn't it? I mean, he's like Darth Vader, really. He's just, we, we all have to respect him in, in, his thr- thrill, so, in his thrall, so it's kind of odd. And I, the other thing I don't understand is why is the devil acting as the willing custodian of hell? I thought he was God's enemy. Why is he helping God out by running his penal system for him? That, <laughs> You know, surely, good devil, he'd be welcoming in sinners, going, yeah, well done, come on in, well done for pissing off God. I think he's a cunt as well, to be honest. Come on, come on in, as a reward for all your bad behaviour, we set up an eternity's worth of activities for you, you're going to have the best time. Today, we're bumming every different kind of animal, this is... I see it's like a reverse Noah's Ark we've got going on here. This isn't a carpy here, it's a very... I like it. It's very, from behind, it looks very like a lady. It's got, also got a very long tongue. You're welcome to have a go after me. We're very poli- I'm very polite. People, my reputation is that I'm quite nasty. I'm a very considerate, considerate man. Why is, de- why is the devil helping God out? I don't think the devil and God are enemies at all. I think they're just pretending for the story. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's like the wrestling. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> If you think about it, without the devil, God is nothing. He needs the devil. If, uh, if there's, no, if there's no bad to fight against, God, is, there's nothing, is it? It's, if you're just good without bad, good doesn't actually mean anything. That's just the normal state. It's similar to Jesus needed Judas without Judas betraying Jesus Christ. Again, quite an admirable thing to do. He knew that Jesus was the son of God. He was only going to get 30 pieces of silver for it. He still thought, yeah, I'll give it a whirl. What's the, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? But... 
without Judas doing that, we'd all be damned. So in a way, we, we, you know, Judas allows us to be saved by, by Jesus' uh, Jesus's salvation. Without Judas, we wouldn't have had that. So we've got to thank Judas for that, really, haven't we? You know, if you're going to make up an afterlife, which I think all afterlifes are clearly guess. No one knows what's going to happen to you after you're dead. It's a guess or it's a lie. If you're going to make it up, let's make up something that's, that will make us live our lives better rather than filling us with shame and fear. If you think about it, in the ejaculation that created you, there were up to 600 million sperm. You beat every single one of those sperm to the egg. That's an amazing achievement. You won the cock lottery. Uh, you came first in the sperm marathon one of Mars's less successful chocolate bars. Uh, <laughs> you beat these impossible odds. So why don't we say, right, instead of heaven, when you die, what happens is you get sent to a gigantic room full of the 600 million babies who would have been born if you hadn't beaten them to the egg. All those babies you beat in the race to existence, they're sitting there in little thrones waiting for you. They're, they're telepathic. It's like something in Star Trek. They can still speak English. Uh, they're, they're quite pissed off with you, to be honest, because, you know, you beat them in this race. They could have lived, but you beat them to it. So you, you, you're confronted by 600 million judgmental babies. Uh, then you'd have to go round each of them in turn explaining every single thing you did in your life. And only when they're satisfied that you lived a better life than they would, the fullest life possible, will they let you go on to the next baby to do the whole thing again 600 million times. I think if you knew that was coming, you'd pull your finger out a bit and, uh, <laughs> and live, make the most of the opportunity of your life. Just to avoid the shame of going, yeah, I did spend every Sunday morning in the year 2004 watching the omnibus edition of Hollyoaks. Uh, <laughs> Even though I was 46 at the time, it wasn't really aimed directly at me. And I had already seen every single episode in its original 6.30 evening showing. But I was enjoying the subtle variation of seeing the show signed for the death. It's just... It's, a, it's like... It's a, it's like a different character. It's like this old man as just a middle-aged man, fat middle-aged man, has arrived in Chester. He's having to hang out with these 18-year-old models for some reason. He's confused. He can't speak. He can only communicate with his hands. He's the character I most identify with in the whole show, if I'm honest. Then the baby's going to say to you, well, I would have cured cancer in 2014, even though he did watch Hollyoaks as well. I mean, he's only human, but he can say that because he can be all superior. If you knew that was coming, you'd, you'd make an effort in your life to do something worthwhile. Billions of years would pass, right, as you told your life to these 600 million babies. Uh, after the last one's finished, you'd assume you get to go to proper heaven now, no, but no. Instead, you get shown into a second room, which is full of all the babies who would have been born if every sperm you'd produced or encountered had created a child, uh, rather than going into a condom or handkerchief or onto your face. Uh, but <laughs> then you'd have to explain to each of those babies in turn why it was you never got the chance to live. Uh, that second room, it's essentially Catholicism. It basically is Catholicism. I think it's important to... When you're starting up a new religion, you have to appropriate quite a lot of the old ones so you can get everyone on board. That's just... That's what that's there for. I am very proud to say that I have never committed any of the seven deadly sins. Now, that's a really fucking funny joke, that, because pride is one of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> you pathetic that you did not get that. You're all fucking idiots. <laughs> and now I've done wrath as well. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> and being angry makes me really hungry. I, I, I might, I'm, I'm just going to... Uh, I'm going to eat all of these uh, donuts here just to make myself feel better about myself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, actually, I, I don't just want these donuts. I want every single donut in the world. I want no one else to be allowed to eat a donut. And um, these ring donuts are pretty sexy, actually. I mean, what do you think? 
Get me going. What do you think? I'm going to have a little, have a little crack on that. Oh, I'll tell you, having sex with a donut doesn't half make me tired. I think I'm just going to leave the show. Uh, that's the end of the show for me. You know, Stuart Lee would never have sex with a donut just for a joke. I wish I was him. That was all seven of the seven deadly sins there, in, in donut form. Do you like that, Dom? Come on! It's got a lovely cream filling, Dom. I'll leave that for you. If you're not going to eat it, you know, it's still, you know, a holes a goal. Any holes a goal. That's my, that's, uh... <laughs> no, I haven't done too badly there. It's, this is my, <laughs> my wedding suit. I don't think my wife ever thought, you know. I expect at some point there'll be sort of cum and donuts all over that. <laughs> anyway, the seven deadly sins. <laughs> Pride, wrath, gluttony, greed, lust, sloth and envy, we did them all there. My main issue with the seven deadly sins, though, is that it doesn't set any kind of limit. All those seven things from the seven have to be experienced on some level by every single human being. We all have to eat, for example. So how much can we eat before we, we're greedy? They don't give us any idea of the scale. The deadly sins need to come with some kind of BMI-style graph <laughs> with a calorific value for greed based on your height. Once you eat that much... Over this much, you are greedy. How much are we... We're all, we have to sleep, but how much are we allowed to sleep before we become slothful? I mean, I'd say it's probably eight hours, <clears throat> but maybe making some... Yeah, the problem with the donut thing is that now I've got donuts <laughs> flakes in the back of my throat. Uh, and all over my face. No, that's all right, I'll be okay. Um, it's nice. <laughs> it's delicious. Uh, it's probably eight hours. Uh, maybe making some nod towards jet lag or illness. Um, when does annoyance become wrath? Without a sliding scale or calibration method, it's just a meaningless word. That's my point. You, have, you can't just say these things. Similarly, some level of sexual arousal is necessary if you want to propagate the species, at least enough to get an erection and to get the requisite amount of moisture. Uh, but when you're with a donut, there's a little bit of moisture in those already. So it's... <laughs> Don't have to worry so much. So, but when does it reach lustful levels? We all need a certain amount of stuff, so maybe the list could provide an inventory of what things are allowed to have before you become greedy. In any case, all of these things are things that make us human beings. I think the really deadly sins are the ones that we have absolute control over, the little selfish things that we do that rub each other up the wrong way for no reason. And those annoyances, I think, lead to the real problems because then you get annoyed by someone else, you go on, you take it out on someone else, it escalates, and I think that's where the big problems come. Who knows, maybe if we didn't do the little things, we wouldn't have things like war and fighting, you know, who knows? So I've decided to come up with a better list of seven deadly sins for the, for the modern world. Uh, number one the seven of these modern seven deadly sins is stopping suddenly at the top of stairs in a public place. <laughs> Just step to one side, that's all you have to do. The fact you're a tourist somewhere should make you know that, you know, you definitely have to step aside. It's... Uh, number two uh, is inability to control your bodily effluent on public transport. So, for example, if you've got a runny nose, don't juggle the snot in the back of your throat like you're making a bogey cappuccino. Get, get a fucking hanky. If you can't control your snozges, then get off the train. That is... Just have some respect for other people. Number three is vehemently taking sides in an argument on social media without making any attempt to ascertain what is actually going on. That is... <laughs> If we got rid of that, there'd be a lot of problems. Number four, uh, deadly sin, is disobeying the lane rules and arrows at the swimming pool. I, um... 
I could go on about this at some length, and I might do, uh, is the, the directions are there for a reason. A, you've got to choose the right lane, right? It's slow, medium, fast. It's not based on what you think you are. It's based on the, the, the talent and the ability of the people in the pool already. So if the Olympic squad are in your pool, you're no longer in the fast lane. Move over to the slow lane. You judge it by that and judge it by how many people are in each lane. Use some common sense. And the arrows are there for a reason. Don't start going, oh, well, I, I prefer... I prefer dividing the lane into two. If there's only two people, I'd let's divide the lane into two people and we could just go up the lanes if we want. Well, I like, I like swimming diagonally across the pool. Is that, can I do that now? I like swimming widths when everyone else is doing lengths. Why can't I do that? You can't do that because it leads to anarchy. What if a third person gets in as you're doing backstroke the wrong way down? They get in and where do they go? How do they know what to do? There's a, that is a potentially very dangerous collision. So that is probably the most important of the new deadly sins. <laughs> Number five... Uh, is eating crisps too loudly if you're over seven years old. That is... That happens a lot, especially in public. You're a grown-up, you know how to eat crisps. I mean, it is a, it's a problem that's exacerbated by the new luxury kettle-style crisps, but even that, just suck on it a bit. Just keep your mouth closed when you're eating crisps. That is... You're a grown-up. Uh, number six is asking when is International Men's Day on International Women's Day. That is... Uh, <laughs> Asking that question makes you a prick for millions of reasons, mainly because the answer is November the 19th, if you're not sure. And, uh, so, uh, and deadly sin uh, number seven is using a public hairdryer to dry your genitals. That is... <laughs> do not do that. If you break any of those, you're doomed for all eternity. That is properly calibrated as well. Richard Terry's meaning in life! I suppose the opposite side to the seven deadly sins is the Ten Commandments. Um, I was actually quite religious as a child, uh, before I was sort of seven or eight years old. I, I believed quite uh, strongly in, the, in Christianity. I was brought up as a Christian. I used to read a little bit of the New Testament every night and try and learn the lessons uh, that it had taught me. Then I turned against uh, religion. But it's, I think it's still hard um, to overcome that kind of superstition because it, it, it's difficult to... To shake it off, so I was still a bit afraid. But I knew the Ten Commandments, and I was a bit of, uh, afraid of them. But I, you know, I'm pretty much over. I mean, admittedly, when I was uh, a teenager, uh, I went through a stage where I was scared if I even stood on an ant because I'd broken Commandment Six: "Thou shalt not kill." Uh, when I was about 19, uh, my mum and dad came to pick me up from college wearing identical turquoise tracksuits. I mean, they looked <laughs> they looked ridiculous, and I called them stupid plonker wallies to their faces. And that's which was the worst insult you could give in the 1980s. And uh, I felt they'd embarrass me in front of all my friend, Mike Cosgrave. So uh, <laughs> I realised I'd broken Commandment 5, honour thy mother and thy father. Uh, and when I went through a phase of shoplifting for kicks at the embarrassingly late age of 25, uh, <laughs> I'd be running away from my shop with my stolen Kinder Egg, thinking, oh, no, Commandment 8, thou shalt not steal, as well as wondering which crazy croco I'd got this time. Um, <laughs> Even as recently as three or four years ago, the bloke who lives next door to me in Shepherd's Bush in West London, he bought an ox. And he... <laughs> he left it grazing out there in the garden for everyone to see. I'm only human, I have to admit, I was guilty of coveting that ox. And uh, to be honest, I'm not even really entirely sure what coveting is. I just, I've got a dictionary on here, I'll just uh, quickly look that up. Uh, covet. Oh. All right, OK, well, I didn't cover the ox, as it happens. <laughs> We're near the things that are forbidden and the things they don't mind about. It's an odd system they've got going there, but... Uh... Why are we obsessed with the extremes, good and evil? There's no nuance, there's no grey area, no acknowledgement that most complex issues uh, don't have a right, wrong and a right. 
Isn't it time to start treating people who see the world as black and white in the same way as we do with those people who see people as black and white? It's ridiculous. Traditionally, we see our consciences battling between right and wrong. We have a devil on one shoulder telling us to be bad and an angel on the other saying we have to be good. I was struggling to write this month's show yesterday. It was Saturday. Part of me knew I had to work hard, so all of you people here in the theatre and you at home would be entertained. But a big part of me just wanted to say, fuck it and go out and get drunk. Stop working, Rich. You're so good at comedy. You can just ad-lib the whole script. Let's go out and get pissed. No, Rich. You must stay and work hard. Over 500 nerds are paying you to produce a comedy show and you have to do the best you can. Fuck them, the girlfriendless idiots. They'll lap up any old shit you put out. Just don't worry about it. Make it up as you go along, go to the pub. Turn against the bottle. Work hard and your place in heaven is assured. What are you talking about? Jesus hated drinking water so much he'd turn it into booze just to get the taste of water out of his mouth. His blood is actually made out of wine. Oh, yes, well, I'm not trying to criticise the boss's son. <laughs> He'll be in charge one day. The old man can't hang on forever. Uh, but please do not be led down this dark path, Richard. Work diligently. There's some vodka in the freezer, Rich. Drink it! Drink it! If you drink alone in the daytime, then you don't have to worry about embarrassing yourself in front of other people. So you'll keep your self-respect. But I need to write this script. Write it drunk. You're funnier when you're drunk. Everyone says so. That's a very persuasive argument. I do feel funnier when I'm pissed. Hold on, you're trying to trick me. How very unlike you, Satan. I'm very disappointed in you. I knew you'd see sense. That's right, Richard. Write your script about how bad the Ten Commandments are. Oh, um, I'm not sure you should be doing that either. Why not write a sketch about parsimony? What's parsimony? I don't really know. It just sounded holy when I said it. I don't know what it is. You can both shut up. The problem with you shoulder angels is you're both so extreme. Like our conscience as a daytime TV producer who can only employ guests with the most extreme opinions. And if they're prepared to dress up in ridiculous costumes, that's all the better. I'm going to replace you with a couple of shoulder normal blokes who can give me more balance and less fanatical opinions. Hi, I'm Ian. Oh, I'm Simon. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with drinking in moderation, Rich. Why not limit yourself to a couple of glasses of wine a night? Then you won't feel left out, but you won't embarrass yourself or get a hangover. Yeah, Ian, that's not a bad idea. But I think Rich is one of those guys who likes to drink to get drunk, so whilst not knocking your good suggestion, I would say that Rich maybe just drinks a couple of nights a week when he probably won't have to work in the morning. Yeah, that's a good plan too, Si. But, you know, if he feels like having a small drink on a work night, he shouldn't beat himself up about it. Absolutely not. But you know, Rich, you don't have to listen to us imaginary shoulder normal blokes. You're 46 years old. You're old enough to make these decisions for yourself. He's right. Do you fancy a drink, Simon? Yeah, too right. Thirsty work, this shoulder advice, huh? Uh, it's time for our interview, so will you please welcome this week's guest. He is the author of Evolutionary Psychology and... Uh, the visiting professor of psychology at the University of South Wales, which is a sensible thing to do in South Wales. Just visit. <laughs> Please welcome Professor Lance Workman, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hello, Lance. Sit down. And you, sit down. Pull up a mic. Bring your own water on by all means. <laughs> I'm sorry, we forgot to bring it. There we go. We've got it's the sword in the stone. So, um, Dr. Lance Workman, Professor Lance Workman, which is a good name. If, you, and if, the, if, the, if the academia doesn't work out for you, you can go straight into being a porn star with a Lance. 
Lance worked. That. Yeah, it's good. Have everyone. I'll give it a try. Give it a try. So, um, could you just, could you explain first of all for people who don't know what uh, evolutionary psychology is? As in your well, book. it's as explained in my book, uh, 2014, <laughs> 34 available from all good bookstores. It's really expensive, but it is good. <laughs> the, the basic idea about evolutionary psychology is that um, we were created by our genes in, in a past environment, and we have the legacy of those genes. So the sort of motivational things that helped our ancestors to survive and pass their genes on are still with us today. And we have to kind of overcome that, if you like. So the basic idea is we've got a sort of Stone Age brain in a, in a computer age uh, body. And culture has moved on faster than our genes can keep up. That's the basic tenets yeah. of it. So we to explain things at that ultimate level. So, wow. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting heckled. Do you get, do you get heckled it's much? in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded slightly sarcastic. Like, going, wow. We're going to sit through 30 minutes of this shit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. We might do longer now, just for you. Um, <laughs> so, um, how does... So I suppose what I'm interested in is good and evil, so how does morality develop? I mean, are, mm. are there any other uh, animals that have morality? Or are, we, are human Ooh. beings the only ones with Ooh, morality? Oh, that's a big one. Is it? Um, OK, sorry. Yeah. No, I think I can have a stab <laughs> at that. <laughs> one of the interesting things is, if you look at our relatives, the primates, they tend to um, attack cheats... If, if, if individuals take more than they should or don't put back into the system what they should, they yeah. tend to be ostracised, which is quite interesting. Unless they're really big and strong, in which case you can't, yeah. you know. But generally, amongst the primates, the higher primates, the great apes, you need coalitions, you need people that you've supported in the past, and then they'll reciprocate. And this notion of reciprocation seems to be something we've taken to a much greater level. So it's not just us. No. Yeah. So, we, then, so that develops into then creating right and wrong somehow, with beyond just how much food you're taking from the pile. Yes, I mean, we've taken it to a much, much greater level. They, they tend to pair off, and, for example, if you've been groomed, say a vervet monkey, for example, if it's been groomed by another vervet monkey, if you grab hold of that other vervet monkey, the other one will come up and try and defend it. Yeah. So they tend to do it in pairs and slightly larger groups. But we tend to have generalised that to the population. So we engage in this thing called reciprocal altruism at a mild level, but we expect everybody else to reciprocate. So if you, if you do me a favour, you know, you'll expect it back, even if you're not saying that consciously. And we extend that to the group in general. Yeah. The monkeys don't disapprove of grooming, though, in the same way we do. Uh, <laughs> it's quite nice, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In monkeys, just to, just to make that clear. Or very so close. It's, it's a different. It is a different. It's a slightly different thing. Um, and uh, um, I don't. I can't understand what makes a man hate another man. Help me understand. I'm um, quoting uh, the 1980s band Depeche Mode. There. Uh, <laughs> Can you help me understand, I mean, Depeche um, Mode understands yeah, that? Yeah, uh, there's two things going on there. The, the first one is that one thing we do know from our evolutionary past, and this occurs with, with our relatives as well, uh, but it is highly developed in us, is that we are in-group, out-group bias. We show an in-group, out-group bias. So what we tend to do is the group that we belong to, we think that they're better than the other group, and we tend to exaggerate their good qualities. And the out-group, we tend to think they're not as good as us, and we kind of play down their good qualities and then we kind of criticise them, or we put sort of blue water between us. Yeah. The astonishing thing is, when you actually get with that other group, you find they're better than you thought if you spend <laughs> enough time with them. Yeah. 
Now, so what you then have to add is that we are tit-for-tat strategists. We're strong tit-for-tat strategists. And what we tend to do is up the odds. This is how wars start, basically. Yeah. So if the other group, if a member of the other group does something bad to you, you tend to exaggerate that. Your group tends to get behind you and exaggerate it, and you end up going too far and doing bad things because the other group are different to you and because they've, they've done this tit-for-tat thing and you've got to get back at them. Do you spend a lot of time researching Twitter and the various ways that that, that exact thing happens all the time on Twitter? Not me personally, but the people who do, and that does yeah. seem to happen. The, the, it starts off as a mild sort of criticism, and then the other person comes up with a stronger one, and it kind of it ends in war. Yeah. It starts with Twitter, ends in war. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's good to know. But not all wars were started by Twitter, though, right? They're not that. Probably there were not. wars pre pre Twitter wars. There were a few that yep. came back before before Twitter. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive round of applause to Professor Lance Workman. That's near the end of the show, but I think it's time to come up. We've done the new Seven Deadly Sins. I think it's also important to come up with a new Ten Commandments. They were written thousands of years ago for people living, living in a desert. Let's make them more relevant, update them to today, to make, a, to make a better world, I think, to make people live their lives better. And I think commandment is too strong a word. I'm going to call them the Ten Suggestions, which is better. <laughs> but take them on board if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. Number one, uh, suggestion one, do not have slaves of any gender... <laughs> or non-gender, or follow the commandments of anyone who approves of slaves. Even if they're giving the slaves a day off a week, that isn't good enough. No slaves. Uh, suggestion two, respect life in all its many forms and all its impossibility. If you're going to kill something, make sure you have a good reason for doing it. That's all I'm saying. Just think about it first. Sometimes things need to die. Uh, number three, try not to be a dick. Uh, <laughs> You will be sometimes, regardless of your efforts, so don't beat yourself up about it if you are. <laughs> Suggestion four, question everything and allow others to question what you believe. Only people who are wrong have anything to fear from questions. Always be open to the fact that you might be wrong. Statistically, you probably are. <laughs> Suggestion five, your mum and dad probably deserve your respect. If so, they will get it for a bit, then not have it for a little while, then get it back again. Having unprotected sex on its own does not make you worthy of honour. <laughs> Deserve more than it got. Uh, <laughs> number six, you'll be dead soon. Don't forget to take some time to enjoy the ride. <laughs> Suggestion seven, most things that other people are doing are none of your business. <laughs> number eight, cover nothing and don't steal, sure. But if you've got stuff to spare, then share it around a bit. See suggestion three about being a dick. Uh, Anything that is owned has been stolen at some point. It all belongs to all of us, apart from my copyrighted online video content. <laughs> Number nine, if there is a God, he has more important things on his mind than what happens to your bodily fluids or where you put your genitals. You're not as important as you think you are. And suggestion ten is do not use a public hairdryer to dry your genitals. <laughs> or any hairdryer. Use a towel, for Christ's sake. Uh, I think the danger with things of looking at good and evil is this danger of moral absolutism. Be wary of supporting an ethical system which is only there to prop up inequality and injustice and exploitation. See the nuance in things. We're, we're human beings driven by selfish impulses, but perhaps we can make that work for us if we can convince each other that acting for the common good actually improves 
all of our lives as individuals as well. Let's try not to be selfish dicks, but don't worry about good and evil. The world is a much more complicated place than that. Hope you've enjoyed it. There'll be one more of these next, uh, next time. We'll be back with uh, The Shape of Things to Come. Uh, thank you very much for watching. Goodbye. Cheers. <laughs> How do you like them sky potatoes? <laughs>